Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Is from Hebrews 10, 11 through 17. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Amen. Okay, good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, It's good to be back. We are doing a mini-series looking at the implications and applications of what it means that Jesus is with us. And we're doing that because a couple weeks ago we celebrated Christmas. We talked about Emmanuel, right? Christ with us. But no offense, what does that mean? What is, that, what is the tangible reality of God being with us in the person of Christ? Why should we even care? And I think our text today that we've picked is trying to say, for Christ to be with us, there's something about the, his priestly office. There's something about how he saves through sacrifice. And before some of you start zoning out, before some of you start, your eyes glaze over, We need to address this because a lot of folks, what happens here is when you say Christ saves through sacrifice, you say, why do I even need saving? And why is God so bloodthirsty that he needs a sacrifice in the first place? And why does it seem like this feels like regressive and punitive and, and downright medieval sometimes, that there's this sort of exchange? Christianity seems obsessed with debt and payment and, and the like. And so it's a, it's a fair question. We need to address those issues, and our text does so by highlighting three questions for us that we need to answer today. First is this, why you need a priest? Secondly, what does it mean that Jesus is that perfect priest? And then thirdly, how do we actually know that we've let him be that priest for us? Again, we're going to look at today why you need a priest. Secondly, what does it mean that Christ, Jesus, is that perfect priest? And then we're going to try to apply that. How do we know if we've allowed him to be your priest? So first, why do you need a priest? Well, look at um, verse 11 here. The writer of Hebrews the, the very first text here is reminding all of us about how all religion and all non-religious action works. It's all the same. He, he says, you do your duties. Look at verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. And so what the writer here is showing you is that in most religions, priests 
they offer sacrifices on behalf of the people who can't do it themselves. But you can almost see the repetition, right? Day after day, or uh, again and again. There's a monotony to it. There's a, there's a, a rinse and repeat aspect of all religions giving people a list of things to do, right? If we were to walk through the world religions, here's a list, here's what you need to do, do them. If you do do them, you're in, and if you don't do them, you're out. That's how most religious practice works. Now, before we go further, zoom out for a second, realize this. All religions, before Christianity showed up, all religions has, have shown us that there needs to be a place where you meet God or the deity or, or the something beyond. There's a temple and there is something more to this world. I find it very interesting that every culture before this culture that we live in now, every culture somehow implicitly knew there was something beyond yourself and when you got close to that person or thing, there was a barrier. There was some sort of barrier to approach God on your own terms. Rudolf Otto, uh, in a very famous book years ago, wrote a book called The Idea of the Holy. And what he does is he, see, he sees a pattern in all religions and all civilizations that somehow when, pe- there was, when people got close to, to the divine, they didn't have warm, fuzzy feelings. There was always a sense of dread when they got close to the divine. And, and he wanted to know why was that? I think the answer is, if you're a child and you're small, when you get close to somebody really tall, it's only then do you realize how small you are. When you get close to the perfect, right, something so beautiful, so wonderful, whether it's a person, place, or thing, when you get close to perfection, it's in that moment that you start seeing and feeling and recognizing your imperfections. In the same way, when you get close to the infinite, that's when you start feeling the most finite. And I think that's why religions had priests to intercede on behalf of the people and make sacrifices. Now, this is also where you're probably as modern New Yorkers going, yeah, and that's the problem with religion, right? We've evolved past that. We, we don't need to compare ourselves to God anymore. We don't need to offer sacrifices anymore, right? We're, 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 we're much more, uh, pro, you know, not just progressive. We've, we've evolved beyond that. But have we? Ask yourself this question. Why do we overwork? Some of you overwork, you're, there's a workaholism in you that you keep going further and further and it's almost like you can't stop. You're, you're working to earn something. You're working to fill something. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your, sometimes your family or your free time. See, what's interesting there and what's ironic is, uh, you know, you're still making a sacrifice, How about those of you, maybe that's not your problem. Maybe your problem is you have a hard time saying no to other people. Maybe you want the approval of a parent or a friend or, uh, you know, you're you're grasping for a status in culture. And you, you need the approval of that. And what you end up doing there is then you sacrifice for them. So here's what's fascinating. I think today, modern people, we don't see ourselves as religious anymore. And yet... We still need a priest, and there's, there's a priestly function, a, a sacrifice on, on the altar of approval or comfort or control or power that we are making daily, day after day, and yet we can't get away from it. It's still happening. I think what the, the, the little lie that the Western individualistic society has taught us is that it's tried to convince us that, that we're okay as we are, that we don't need some sort of priestly function, and yet here we are doing it all the time. Uh, just to, to help you here, forget religion for a second. 
you and I have a standard that we compare everybody else against, right? We, we believe there's a, like a right way to live, and we want other people to live up to that. Here's a question for you. As much as we have that standard, do we even live up for, to, that, to that standard for ourselves? Uh, Francis Schaeffer, famous minister years ago, uh, had this analogy. He said, imagine there was a, an invisible recorder around your neck. It's, it's called a magical one because it doesn't just record your, your actions. It records your, your thoughts that have passed through your mind. And let's say at the end of life, we play that recorder and we just compare it to your own uh, standards, your own morality structure that you have for other people. Would you and I actually pass that standard? And the answer is, if we're honest, no, we wouldn't. And therefore, ironically, we actually still need a priest. We need somebody to intercede. We're either doing it ourselves or we're going to ask somebody else to do it. That's the first thing. Now, secondly, all right, what does it mean that Jesus is the perfect priest? Go back to verse 11 again. I only read, read the first half. Look at the second half. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs. Yeah. But, and they do this, but it can never take away sin. It can never take away sin. So it's, something is not working here. And let me, I have to do a little bit of translation for you because we live, we're modern people, and that word sin is a religious term that's thrown around a lot. A lot of times we think sin is just bad things, and most of us don't actively think we do bad things on a day in and day out level. But biblical sin is not just bad things, it's anything that you place more important than God. It's anything that you prioritize too important in an inordered fashion. And so here, take anything good, right? What's good? Loving your family is a good thing. You should love your family. But in an inordinate love of your family, you know what happens? When you love your family too much, you end up smothering them because you're asking them to, to perform and act in a certain way that can't, they can't live up to your expectations. And so what ends up happening is you break them because they can't live up to those expectations. And then ironically, it breaks you because they can't give you what you need from them in life. And you can do this, by the way, with anything, right? You can do it with a job. You can do it with your looks. You can do it with, again, we, we, there's just so many things that are good in the world that if you, 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 you do it, you, you put an inordinate hope in that thing, that is what biblical sin is. Now, normal priests, we're told here in verse 11, can't make sacrifices enough for that. But look what happens in verse 12. The contrast is, but when this priest, talking about Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So we're meant to, con to contrast verse 11, most priests doing things over and over and over again, running around kind of frenetically, with this priest who does something once and then sits. It's final. It's done. It's been, it, it is a, a perfect sacrifice for sins. And then verse 14 is the doozy that you could probably reflect on for days. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Which you, you almost have to say it more often because it's so, there's a lot going on here. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who have been made holy. And if I can just simplify this, what basically he's trying to get at, the writer of Hebrews, is because of Jesus' sacrifice, there is now no condemnation forever. And because look at the key, the key phrase is made perfect forever. In the, in the Greek, it is this finalized moment that 
is in, in a point in history that doesn't need a reaction. So in other words, when Jesus dies for your sins, that doesn't mean, okay, he's forgiven you for now, and by the way, when you mess up again, you have to do it all over again. It says forever. It says it's done. And so uh, Eric earlier led us through our confession. We do confession here on Sundays every morning. But we do that because we think it's healthy to be honest, as he said earlier, to put before us our issues. But you don't confess to get relationship with God. This text is saying you, you confess because you already have it. You can't lose it. It's, it, it's been done forever for you. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. And another way to put this is this. If Jesus has paid for your sins on the cross, right, that's what Christian tradition has taught us. That means now you can't be condemned for your sins. It would actually be unfair for God to extract payment from Jesus and then try to do it again from you. You can't have two payments for the same debt, which is why Romans 8, I think, puts it even more starkly for us, right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means then is I don't have to, you know, I think the problem I think we have is we don't realize Daily, what this means that it means if you mess up, he's he has prepaid that payment that you're going to do in the future back in the past, and so no condemnation. That status on you is not a clean slate. It's not now go try to live a good life, but if you mess up, then then you're back to condemnation. I actually argue. I would argue. The way we live everyday life, the reason why we 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 sit in guilt and shame. I was, I was just doing a, a class yesterday, and somebody asked me a question, and, and I, I, I kind of went like this, because I, I clearly, I had I, fudged on the answer, because there, there was a shame aspect to it. The reason why we live in that daily, I would argue, is because we haven't really, really let this once perfect sacrifice of Jesus impact our daily living. That grace means not that there's no condemnation for now, but there's no condemnation ever. It ceases, condemnation ceases to exist on top of you. And that means if you're a Christian, when you do ask for forgiveness, what you're not doing is you're not asking it because you haven't received it yet. You're actually reminding yourself in that moment that you actually had already received it in the past and you had forgotten. So friends, before we move on, this is, this is what I want to ask you. Do you live no condemnation lives? Do you live that out because I would argue that most of our problems today is that most of our issues is that we failed to remember this verse in our life. And if you say I don't, you know, no, I, I don't, I don't really believe you. Try it out. Next time you're numb. Next time you're sad. Next time you're you're despondent. Again, whether you're a, a Christian or not, ask yourself if you could if you could push yourself. If I really believed 
in this moment that there's no condemnation for me, if I really believe that Christ's perfect sacrifice is applied to me, and I can now never be separated from the love of God, if I deeply believed that and experienced that, how would that speak into my, my current circumstances? Let's say it's the slight of others that are bumming us out. Those people's slights in a no-condemnation status space have less effect on you. Let's say we're, 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 we're despondent because we've just thrown ourselves into one of those idols again. We've, we've thrown ourselves into our work or our family. We, we've re, we misprioritized these good things in our life. This status means that those operating figures in our life don't have the same level of power. Right? Maybe you're, you have an inability to receive criticism. Maybe you're an inflexible person. Think of the character traits that sort of follow us wherever we go. A no-condemnation status on us. Perhaps it's, it's that we haven't felt deeply the sense of love from him settled on us right now. I, I, I really want to try to not gloss over this. Some of you in the past couple of years, you've been very, very deeply hurt by friends family, loved ones, culture as a whole. I don't know if it's your, your, your race or your, your class or your gender. There's been a lot of us that have, we felt manipulated and hurt by others. And that hurt is real. But I would, I would say the healing begins when you don't let those pronouncements have the last say on your identity. The healing begins when you say, no, what makes you a Christian is not your abilities. It's not your behavior even. It's when you cross over to living every single day in light of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what it means that you have him as our perfect priest. And so recap, why do you need a priest? You need a priest because there are sacrifices that we're making that are not enough. Jesus is... From this text, the perfect priest that actually brings no condemnation. So last point, how do we know if we're actually living in light of this? How do we know if we've let him be this perfect priest for us? And I think the text gives us two tests, two tests to know if this is actually happening to us. Look at verse 15 first. Notice the Holy Spirit testifies for us about this. That, so no matter what happens, the Holy Spirit is the one who's activating and, and involved to make this happen. But look at the next verse, verse 16. The first sign, the first test that you're letting this happen in your life, it says here, is that I will put my law in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. You say, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means at least this, that God's way of life, what he loves, becomes what you love. What's written in Scripture, his law... It becomes your law of life. Now, I have to acknowledge, God's love, the, the, there's, there's never perfect confluence between your heart and God's heart. But if this is real and not made up, if, if you love God, you're going to love what he loves. And I can say that because that's actually, we know implicitly that's how this works. Think about somebody you've loved in your life. A friend, maybe a family member, maybe a child. What happens if you really love them? You've placed your love inside their love. And from the outside, people, it looks like well, you're just doing whatever they want. But from the inside, you know that you love them so much, you want what they want. So for instance, let's say that person that you love loves to go on long walks. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're a homebody. You don't really like to go on long walks. 
What, is, what are you going to do? What's going to happen is you're going to love them. You're not going to—you don't have to go on a long walk. You really don't. But you're going to want to because you're going to want to be with them in the space that they love. That's what I'm talking about. And so what happens is this changes duty into choice. This changes mere ceremony. Okay, I have to do this because I know God loves it. No, to like, no, I know this is actually part of who he is, and I want to be part of that. So it takes fake adherence and turns it into true pleasure. And that is what it means to obey the law. The law, not on your heart as I have to, but the law on your heart because I want to. That's why it's so hard when you talk about obedience and law. I would actually argue that the way it looks to you is love and care and relationship. That's what it looks like. And that's why when somebody says to me, hey, I'm a Christian, I just don't feel God's love. Usually the first question I ask them is, well, do you love what they love? Do you love what God loves? As is written in the scriptures. And often they'll say, well, I haven't really done that. And I said, well, let's start. Let's do it together. Let's walk through this because that's how we'll know this is actually written on our hearts. Um, Here's the problem, and let me try to translate this for you. Every day we wake up. I think um, Eric said it earlier. Church is only for about an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday. But every day, 24-7, you know what's being told to you from our culture? Follow, basically, don't love what God's heart, don't love his heart, love your own heart. Look within and follow your heart. The problem with that is tyrants and dictators have followed their hearts. It hasn't worked out. You shouldn't always follow your heart. My kids, they, they roll their eyes at me because I, every cartoon we watch, every movie, every story that you see, essentially at the end of the day says, you know what, if you just look within and, and get into your true self, then you'll be okay. Problem is, is when your true self <laughs> wants things that bring, you know, um, de-flourishing to the other individuals. And so, you, in other words, you shouldn't always follow your heart because your heart can lead you astray. But... If you followed his heart, if you allow the scriptures to speak to you and you're placing his love as your love, that would change things. Recently, um, I've, I've had a couple conversations with folks who, who have told me, they, they said, hey, Michael, I'm, I'm deconstructing my faith. I'd like to come and talk to you. And, and I think there's a range there. But in this particular case, these cases, they were essentially saying, I, I don't believe anymore. And what they were saying is, is that the brokenness of, 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 of the church and, and how it's hurt me and affected me, it, I, I can't believe this anymore. And I was really um, trying to be sensitive to them and, and acknowledge their hurt and, and, and cry with them through this. But at the end, I said to them, I asked them this question, I said, but is there anything, was there any love of God that you actually had that could stand despite what others have done? I, I pushed them. I said, uh, where in your heart and your mind has been, where have you really been affected by his love? And they, to be honest, they struggle with that. And I wasn't trying to nullify their pain. What I was trying to do, though, was trying to push them, where is your identity really at? And I'd ask the same thing for you. If somebody says to you, why are you, you know, are you a Christian? And if your answer is, I'm trying, that's not Christianity. Christianity is, it's not just I'm trying. That shows that you don't know what it means to be a Christian. Verse 11 says, you can't bring sacrifices. Being a Christian is living in light of Jesus' sacrifice. It means allowing for the moment on the cross when Jesus says, it is finished. Being a Christian is not just going, hmm, that's interesting. That's a, that's a general principle. It's finished. No, it is finished means you, you apply that to yourself, and it means there's no more striving. It's done. And to the degree that you and I own that, 
as our place in life, to that degree will we be able to pick up the scriptures and realize that law is written on our hearts. Now, last test, second last test that we get to know how we know if we've let him be our true priest. Go back to the text again. The next verse, that's 16. Then he adds, verse 17. This is all, by the way, when, it, when Scripture does this where it looks like it's truncated and it's smaller, it's quoting uh, Jeremiah 31. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. What the Hebrew writer is trying to say here is, if you really applied God's nature to yourself, if you make the anthem of your life this phrase, that I will remember their sins no more, it means Christians should be living in in light of God's non-remembrance, which is, by the way, a a fascinating, amazing statement, because nothing is ever missed by God. But what's happening in this phrase is a striking statement, is he's saying, I'm going to cease to recognize, I'm going to treat you as if you've never actually sinned. Now notice, he's not saying that it hasn't happened, that the brokenness that you've done hasn't affected others. It clearly has, and he had to come and die and pay for it. But what he's saying is, I'm not going to see you through that lens. It's like the old hymn uh, that says, "Well well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all, the thousands more, Jehovah knoweth none. It's, almost, it's, a, it's, the, it's a great uh, old hymn. Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all the thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. That changes everything. Whoever comes after you now, whatever they can throw in your face to try to condemn you, the accuser himself, Satan, all he can do is roar. So what more can the world actually throw at you that you can't handle. It's just going to be sins that my Savior, myself, my, my Savior remembers no more. I think that's the essence for all change. If you want to be able to have transformation, that has to be your calling card. That has to be almost your full resume. Not what you've done, but what he's done. I'll give you a quick example of this. Uh, true story. From back in 1999 in India, there was an Australian man. His name was Graham uh, Staines. And uh, his wife, Gladys, and they had a daughter and two sons. And they were missionaries at a leprosy clinic on the mission field. And he had been there for over 30 years. And he was there to treat anyone who needed medical help. However, a rumor was started in the local town that uh, he had been there for a while, but they said, you know what, he's starting to force conversions to get medical help. And it enraged the, the populace. And so a mob came, and uh, one night, this, this mob surrounded his car with him and his two kids in it, and they lit it on fire, and they all died. Gladys was left, and she was given the option. She was told, you can leave. You, you can, we can get you out of here. And the reporters came. The news came in 1999, and she—I'm going to quote her. This is what she said. She said, I have forgiven the killers— And I have no bitterness because forgiveness brings healing and our land needs healing from hatred. This is the night of the killing. Which you're like, you haven't even had time to process it, but the minute she's like, I'm not leaving and I forgive those who did this. Now, I I can't imagine what what she went through. I can't imagine what it was like like to live the rest of her life without her husband and her two sons. But I'll tell you this, Christianity is is no just behavior modification. 
Christianity is no just, I believe in God, in Jesus as a principle, as, a, as an example. No, th- this is an active power in her life. The only way she could have, on the night that this went down, to respond that way, is she had to know at some level in her heart that there was no condemnation towards her, so she could actually apply there's no condemnation towards other people. Even the killers. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying you don't care about justice. In fact, the the judicial system did play itself out, and it worked. But if she had not have done that, without forgiveness, she would have potentially gone off and done vengeance instead. But because she stayed, that transformation in her turned out to transform the rest of the community. She became uh, pretty locally famous. She won awards for her medical work, and it led to more human flourishing, which actually led to more justice being done than if she hadn't forgiven in the first place. That's transformation. So ask yourself, has this transformation happened to you? And where has it happened to you? Because I don't believe it's enough just to say, well, I was raised as a Christian, you know, or I don't believe it's just enough to say, well, I, you know, I'm a, uh, a good person and I try to be a good person here and there. No, what this is telling us is that there is only utter freedom in the acceptance and belonging found in him. There was a, um, uh, a book written called I'm Proud of You by a guy named Tim Madigan. And Tim Madigan writes this book talking about how he used to be a journalist, and he was given a, um, an assignment to go and interview Fred Rogers, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers from the PBS, uh, you know, children's programming, the icon. And this is back in 1995. He reached out to Fred Rogers and said, hey, I got to write this puff piece. Let's talk. But it turned into a, a wonderful friendship. Where eventually, Tim starts talking about all the issues he's had with, with um, the death of a sibling, the fact that he, he never got the, the love and um, approval of his father, and how those wounds affected him, and he walked around with those wounds. Fred Rogers, after Tim opened up about these, these things to him, every phone call, every letter that he wrote to Tim, he would always sign it with four letters, I-P-O-Y. I'm proud of you. And he ends up writing this book about it because he says, these were the words that I was desperate to hear. That somehow Fred implicitly knew that he had to hear them, he needed to hear them, and there was a little mini healing enabled when he heard it from Fred regularly. How much more could there be healing in our lives, friends, if all the broken relationships that we have with our siblings, with our parents, all the times that we never heard what we needed to hear? What if the Creator God and the person of Jesus in every moment of your life is saying IPOY to you? I'm proud of you. That is what no condemnation means. Jesus is the better priest than all the other priests. He's the better sacrifice than all the other sacrifices. You can't do enough, but he did. You won't, but he will. And when that becomes not just an intellectual concept to you, but that becomes a lived, present reality in your life, personally heart-effective, that is where transformation happens. That is where change happens. That is where your heart starts to expand. Like the the Grinch that, you know, they they did the x-ray and his heart just blew up. That's what lets that happen. This church could be a resource church that could help not just those in this church, but out in the city, 
If we're not needing just to grab possessions for us, but we can give possessions, here's what happens. You and I are tired. When you're looking within, why are you looking within? Because you're in deficit, because you're tired, because you're in need. But if you really felt this on your life, it would give you the resources to be able to turn around and, and start looking out and finding the broken places, finding the broken people and saying, I can, I can come and be salt and light in this space. I can come and be this for you. And that means then the gospel is not live a good life and try to be like Jesus. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not telling you to do that. It's not even doing WWJD, what would Jesus could do. Real Christianity is what did Jesus, what has Jesus done? And letting that affect you. And when you answer that question, it will move you to more, to be more courageous, more at peace, more joyous, and more other-centric. Let's let that be our anthem. Let's let IPOY, I will remember their sins no more. There is now no condemnation. Those different phrases all together impacting us is a power this world probably still has never seen. And we could give it to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray we'd be people who live in light of this. The first step is to admit that we need it. We need a priest because our priestly abilities are feeble. We are sacrificing at the different altars of our life, and they are not enough. But you are the true one high priest. That is what it means that you, we have Christ with us. Father, I pray that we, we don't want to believe it. I think that there's some part of our hearts that we just still wrestle with the free, true nature of grace, that there is no condemnation. But if we let that hit us, the guilt and the shame that we waddle in daily would be gone, and it would give us a power, not because we're all of a sudden different people, because we still mess up, we're still going to, but we can turn and love and serve others. I pray that this would be not just something for us individually, but for us corporately as a church. Praisings in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.